the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into hour two. 602 is the number. 602 Anything on your mind? Uh, free hour for you. We'll, uh, usually, we, we usually have Brandon Weikert here. He's going to join us in the uh, third hour. He'll be with us in the next hour. So uh, this hour is uh, open lines for you. 602 Zero nine six zero. As promised, I wanted to get into um, this story, and there's a related part to it, too, that goes to something that took place in the Supreme Court today. But as I was mentioning in the um, in the previous hour, uh, this is flying around a little bit. Uh, you may have heard of it. You may not. But there is a professor at Brown uh, University named Emily Oster. She is an economics professor. And she has a big uh, highlighted piece in the Atlantic Monthly titled, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. The subtitle, we need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. We need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. And I was describing earlier the basically two sides. Yes, there were shades and people that flowed a little bit in and out of, of both sides, but effectively... Uh, there were two sides on on what took place during um, the pandemic. There were those that were uh, ardently supportive of the lockdown mentality and uh, were what uh, someone once called team fear, uh, team panic, team paranoia. Uh, and then there were those who tried to not lose their heads when they were losing everything else uh, based on common sense and just a slightly more rational perspective over things by calmly looking at the data and listening to the weird changes the experts kept putting us through, reversing themselves on things that we were convinced and they tried to convince us were true, yet the month before when they became untrue of a sudden and we started to become skeptical ourselves. That first side called that second side science deniers, anti-science um, and said that we were going to be responsible for death, a lot of death. We were called irresponsible. Uh, people suggested we should not, if we weren't masking or vaccinating, we should not uh, be treated. We should be last in triage if we needed to go to a hospital. Uh, we were told that if we weren't vaccinated, we were literally idiots. Um, we who questioned what was being said about the vaccines, even as the CDC was changing the definition of vaccine. Anyway, so this idea we need to forgive one another. Um, what does the forgiveness look like on both sides? Uh, it's one side that is seeking forgiveness, and I understand why. It's that first side. It's that first side that changed their minds almost every month, but always with reference to a single set point, what the CDC says today, what Anthony Fauci says today. Anything else is science denial, including other scientists who may disagree with what Anthony Fauci said today or yesterday or what the CDC said yesterday or the day before or what Kamala Harris and Vice 
uh, and excuse me, then Vice President, then President Biden said about the efficacy of vaccines and the necessity of them. Uh, the fact that you would lose your job if you didn't take them in certain industries. What 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 is the forgiveness uh, that goes in the other direction? What what is the forgiveness <laughs> that um, we need to um, we need to be we we need to be giving to those people? Well, Sam Stone and uh, Matt Peterson uh, write it up pretty well. Sam Stone says. They screamed science while ignoring data. They locked us down, masked us up, forced us to get injected with a mysterious serum, instituted passports to show compliance. They closed schools, churches, and businesses. They called us mass murderers, and they just want total and complete forgiveness. Matt Peterson put it a different way. He uh, he said, uh, here's how it might look uh, for uh, the Dr. Osters of the world. Hey, I'm sorry we scared the hell out of you and lied for years and persecuted and censored anyone who disagreed. But there was an election going on and we really wanted to beat Donald Trump. So it was important to radically politicize the science, even if it destroyed your children's lives. It's too bad we shut the entire economy down and took on tyrannical powers that had never been used before in this country. Looking back, you should have been able to go to church and use public parks while we let people riot in the streets. But it was a confusing time for everyone, don't you know? And we're sorry you lost your job because of the vax that didn't work the way you were told it would and that you tried to convince us it would and that your grandmother died alone and you couldn't have a funeral and your brother's business was needlessly destroyed and your kids have weird heart problems. But let's just admit we were all wrong and call it a truce in a day, huh? That's what this is about. Now... I said there was an interesting connection to this in the Supreme Court today, which heard oral arguments on um, on race-based admissions policies at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. So this professor who wrote the Atlantic piece, the Atlantic piece, again titled, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty and We Need to Forgive One Another for What We Did and Said When We Were in the Dark About COVID. I need to forgive who for what? What do I need to forgive these paranoiacs for what 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 did I ever do to them? She has, by the way, Emily Oster does. She has one example. She has one example of 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 something that might feasibly theoretically be put in the second group of people. She said she writes some people intended to mislead and made wildly irresponsible claims. Remember when the public health community had to spend a lot of time and resources urging Americans not to inject themselves with bleach? No, I don't remember that. I remember a story about an idiot who did it. And I think you can refer to John Stuart Mill uh, back in his um, back in his uh, old essay on utilitarianism. Any ethical standard can work ill if you suppose universal idiocy to be conjoined with it. I, I remember I remember someone doing that, but I remember a lot of other foolish stuff going on, a lot more foolish stuff going on. I remember ads, Bill. Um, Bill, help me out here. You you were the first to point this out to me. Ignoratio Alenci responding to an argument that was not made. What was it with the masks and vaccines? They had these guys, these weightlifter, uh, weight, you know, Lou Ferrigno looking type guys, whatever the more modern for analog to Lou Ferrigno is. Um, weightlifting guys looking strong saying, you know, tell me I'm a coward. 
Go tell, ahead. Tell me my mask looks weak. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me my mask. No one said that. <laughs> no one ever called you weak. No one ever called you weak. Um, but the science on masks was there all along. I can point to article after article, never mind the the ridiculousness of what Joe Biden said about the vaccines. But do the masks work? Read Jeffrey Anderson's overview of all the mask literature over a year ago in City Journal or 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 listen to listen to what Anthony Fauci and uh, Jerome Adams, who was the U.S. Surgeon General, were saying about masks in February of 2020 when they were casting not only doubt, but saying vociferously and decidedly that masks weren't going to save us from COVID and weren't going to prevent COVID. Okay, that all changed, and there were different justifications for it, but these were the guys. These were the guys we kept being told we had to listen to, and they changed their... The science was always there, as was the data, as was the common sense. All I can tell you is Heather McDonald was right. She said pretty much everything we needed to know, we already knew by April 2020. When you looked at other countries' surveys and other countries' surveillances, which, of course, Team Fear told us we should not be looking at ever. And, of course, the admissions of lies. Anthony Fauci admitted to lying. But they want an amnesty. Okay. Okay. So here's the funny part. Emily Oster tweets out her article, the woman who wrote this woman who wrote the piece, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty, she puts it out on her Twitter page. Guess who liked it and wrote, I agree with Professor Emily Oster on this? Randy Weigarten. I just, these people cannot read a room, can they? Does does Randy Weingarten, she's the head of the American Federation of Teachers, by the way, the union that helped write the CDC guidelines on keeping schools closed and now denies that school closings were uh, now says school closings were a good idea but she had nothing to do with it excuse me she now says school closings were a bad idea but that she had nothing to do with it oh a lot of us said they were bad ideas we wrote them we got censored we got some of our pieces published but when we wrote and spoke about it we got censored and we were going up against randy weingarten saying the schools need to be closed now they just want to memory hold the whole thing but of course randy weingarten would have the audacity to write, I agree with Professor Emily Oster on this. It's just too precious. They don't read the room. Maybe they don't have to. Maybe that's a bigger story here. Maybe the bigger story is no one cares that they memory hole. Maybe there will be no accountability. Maybe they think there won't be any accountability. I mean, she's had that job for years, making high six-figure dollars, as the head of a union that keeps playing for more money for teachers, she has been able to say and do whatever she wants. Indeed, even denying such a thing as learning loss could possibly exist now that the data is in because those of us who knew something about it. And anyway, (laughs) I hit the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. As inflation rises and your dollars are stretched thinner, more people are considering a reverse mortgage. I'd like to showcase Bingo Reverse Mortgage and let you know how their trusted team can take some of the guesswork out of it and what benefits can flow to you. Bottom line, a reverse mortgage allows you to convert equity in your home into cash or to purchase a home. To qualify, you must be a homeowner at least 55 years old and have sufficient equity in your home. 
A reverse mortgage can be your ace in the hole when it comes to actually retiring instead of dreaming of retirement. Fact is, most Americans won't be able to retire. Bingo, reverse mortgage is saving the American retirement. Get the safety net you deserve. Call the incredible bingo team at 928-277-4476. That's 928-277-4476. Or visit bingoreversemortgage.com. Tell them I sent you and get a free appraisal reimbursed at closing, a $1,000 value. The veteran-owned and staffed Bingo Reverse Mortgage. BingoReverseMortgage.com. Mike is in Maricopa. Hello, Mike. Yes, good afternoon, Seth. How's things there? Pretty well. How about in your neck of the woods? Everything is good. It's a beautiful day, but I guess... the weather's going to change towards the end of the week. It's going to get kind of chilly. All right. But all anyway, right. Well, we can deal with it. We have the equipment. There you go. We have the Just technology. <laughs> Grab a dog, three dog night. There you go. <laughs> that's what that song is about, by the way. That's right. Three dog night. That's a yes, phrase that's that meant uh, this is how we're going to have to keep warm. We're going to have to pile under the three dogs. Yeah. Not two, three. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You bet. Okay. So what I called in for. I'd like to alert the people that in Maricopa, the city of Maricopa, we are going to have a Veterans Day parade, but it's going to be this weekend, and that would be on the 5th of November on Saturday, and it'll be starting at the Central Arizona College campus, and then it goes down and then turns on Porter, and then there's to follow, there's going to be a luncheon, at the Leading Edge Academy for Veterans and First Responders. And then also the, the next weekend, the actual Veterans Day weekend, the Friday the 11th, is, is Veterans Day. And just to alert you, I know I call every six months or so and talk about Veterans Day and Memorial Day for the Poppy Drive for the VFW. So if you see the veterans out there at your grocery store and the box store, you know, toss a couple of bucks into the into the kitty, and it goes to help local veterans and things. It doesn't go to, you know, spend on frivolous stuff. It goes to help veterans in need locally. And uh, in closing, one, one last thing, tomorrow is November the 1st. It's my wife and my, my wife, Nancy, and our anniversary, and we've been married 26 years, and I love you, man. Oh, happy anniversary, Mike. Thank you. How many years did you say? 26. What's the secret? What's the secret to it all? Yes, dear. Mm -hmm. dear. Yeah, I think there's probably, yeah. Well, focusing on the important, right? The, 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 The critical and not the frivolous, probably, huh? We like to hold hands, and we uh, we discuss things in a civil fashion, nice. and it's a give and take, and it's um, maybe something the Democrats and the Republicans should learn, a little, a little bit of understanding nice. and listening and compromising. Nice. We don't want national divorce any more than individual divorce. Well, happy anniversary, Mike. Thank you for your ongoing your ongoing service to our country. It's probably as good a time as any as well for us to mention we partner with the uh, East Valley Petrons, uh, Veterans Parade, uh, and you can get more information on that through our website as well, 960thepatriot.com. For free, um, to help support it, uh, you can sign up for uh, a nice giveaway we're doing to help promote it. Uh, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 
grocery card, a $100 gas card, and some other kind of goodies from our station. If you go to 960thepatriot.com, it's called the Groceries, Gas, and Goodies Giveaway uh, to help promote the East Valley Veterans uh, Parade, which we, gosh, Bill, I don't know how many years we've been involved with them, but uh, as many as I can remember, and uh, I've been, I think, to... I've been to most of them. I don't know. It's a, it's a great parade. But anyway, Mike, uh, thank you and wonderful um, on you uh, for your service and for your reminding us about that. And congratulations to you and, uh, and Nancy on your uh, anniversary. I wanted to, uh, yes, I was talking about Randy Weingarten, the head of the American Federation for Teachers, who along with Professor Emily Oster is asking for for. Forgiveness on both sides of the COVID situation for both sides. They both want both sides uh, should forgive the other one. Let's declare a pandemic amnesty. We need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. All most of the people in the second group wanted to do was go to work and not have their children shamed or their families shamed for working off data and common sense and noticing that the narratives we were being given weren't quite right, weren't quite adding up. And if they were, they wouldn't have changed so much to fit. The facts wouldn't have changed so much to fit. Bill, do you have uh, Joe Biden promising us what would happen if you got vaccinated? You know, people couldn't work if they didn't get vaccinated. People couldn't work generally. Kids couldn't go to school. We warned about a mental health crisis. We warned about, we warned about uh, learning loss and tremendous education deficits. All of that stuff came true. All the stuff that was censored came true. Most of the stuff Anthony Fauci said didn't. Uh, Bill, give me, if you have it. The various shots that people are getting now cover that. They're, they're, you're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. Do you have the one about the hospitals and the death? The one where he says you're not going to get hospitalized, you're not going to die? You must have that. No, it's Biden saying you're not going to get hospitalized and you're not going to die. But um, in any event, um, you knew you knew something was wrong when they were when they started counting breakthrough infections and breakthrough deaths. You know, the deaths of people with or from covid that um, that uh, that were all fully vaccinated. They started counting that at the CDC and then son of a gun. To quote Joe Biden, and well, he didn't say son of a gun, but in that tone, son of a gun, they just in the middle of the night stopped that website, didn't they? Because those numbers weren't comporting with this. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized. You're not going to be in an ICU unit and you're not going to die. Remember when he said 260,000 deaths disqualifies you from being president when he was talking about Donald Trump in the final debate? only for him to become president and preside over much more death than that, three times as many deaths than that, and with a vaccine, and when it wasn't novel. Yeah. 220,000 Americans dead. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control, in fact, not saying I'm, I take no responsibility initially, anyone who's responsible for that many deaths, should not remain as president of the United States of America. Yeah, he presided over three times that after the vaccine. But we'll forgive all this. Amnesty for everyone here.
Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and today it still remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need a pushy commission salesperson to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably already want it. What you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. That's why I go to support and why they support us, the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. They're fighting for your right to the financial privacy and success that their products and precious metals offer. Trust the dealer I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of you already trust, the Midas Gold Group. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000 to see how precious metals might work into your portfolio. Now, I had mentioned that there's a tie to that Randy Weingarten lack of self-awareness, to put it no higher, in tweeting favorably about how we should just forgive both sides and move on on the amnesty issue of COVID. She, um, her name came up again today as a matter before the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court today heard oral arguments on whether universities, one private, one public, University of North Carolina public, Harvard private, can still be using uh, racial qualifications for admission, whether they can still use race as a factor in admitting students to their schools. At issue is a case that litigators will remember called Grutter v. Bollinger from from, uh, 2003. And famously in that case, Sandra Day O'Connor, as a justice on the Supreme Court, said that... um, The use of race to achieve diversity, diversity being the goal of using race, shouldn't last perhaps for another – it shouldn't go on anymore after about 25 years. That was actually written in the Supreme Court opinion, which would have been 19 years ago. Um, This became an issue in oral argument today. Uh, Let me see how the Wall Street Journal puts it. Seth Waxman, who is Harvard's uh, lawyer, admitted that the school is trying hard to get to a race-neutral future, but sees no end in sight for the race preferences. The U.S. Solicitor General, on the side of Harvard and UNC, said, quote, I just don't think it's tenable to read that we can only be doing this for another 25 years. The clear implication is that the schools can discriminate by race for years to come. And anyone who knows anything about the men and women who run today's universities and how they believe racism is systemic in American life knows that the schools will never stop using racial preferences. Uh, The Wall Street Journal editorializes, if you believe America is fundamentally racist, then you believe that discriminating by race will be justified forever. Justice Sonia Sotomayor came close to saying this explicitly today in oral argument because she said, quote, De jure segregation continues in the U.S. Close quote. De jure segregation. De jure. That's not de facto. You know the difference between de jure and de facto? De jure means by law. De facto means by practice or by act or in fact. So she doesn't know what de jure segregation means because... There is no de jure segregation continuing in the United States. There is no legal segregation in the United States. There may be de facto, but there is not de jure. 
you would expect more from a Supreme Court justice, one who called herself wise at one point based on her race. Mr. Waxman, the Harvard attorney, tried to justify Harvard's use of race by saying it is merely one of many tips that the school uses in making judgments about whom to admit, like whether a student is the child of an alumnus or an athlete. Doesn't that mean race will be determinative in some cases? Chief Justice Roberts asked. I do concede that, Mr. Waxman said. The chief replied. So we're talking about race as a determining factor in admission to Harvard. Mr. Waxman said, yes, just as being, you know, an oboe player in a year. When school orchestra needs an oboe player, that will help. The chief then uttered lines likely to be remembered. We did not fight a civil war for the rights of oboe players. We did fight a civil war to eliminate racial discrimination. These guys, I'll give you the Randy Weingarten connection when we come right back. I'm Seth Liebson, and we will be right back. Are you concerned with stock market volatility? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there is no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. And what if by investing, you could do well by doing good? Talk to my friends at Y-Refi. They're local. I know them well. Super trustworthy and honest. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% return. That's right, up to 10.25% rate of return. Just go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 855 316 3087. That's com or 855-316-3087. Make sure and tell them I sent you. Uh, yes, the Randy Weingarten connection to the race debate uh, and oral argument at the Supreme Court today. I defer to uh, one of the best writers I know, Alyssa Finley, over at the Wall Street Journal. She puts it, you almost have to admire the chutzpah of the teachers' unions, even as they fight to keep Poor minority kids trapped in failing public schools, they plead that racial preferences in college admissions are necessary to compensate for these students' inferior K-12 education. High-achieving Asian, American, and white students must be discriminated against to make up for the educational privileges that unions deny minorities. That's the argument advanced by the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers in their amicus briefs for Harvard and the University of North Carolina, the oral argument of which took place in the Supreme Court today. Our schools from K-12 to higher education still struggle to provide equitable opportunities for students of color, the brief reads. No argument there, but whose fault is it? Perhaps the gravest injustice of our time is the imprisonment of minority kids in substandard public schools. Students' dismal scores on the nation's report card last week provided yet another reminder. Take Illinois. 36% of white 8th graders were rated proficient or better in math, which isn't that much to brag about. But the figures were only 14% for Hispanics and 8% for blacks. 
Similar or even wider gaps were found in other cities and states. In Los Angeles, 62 percent of whites scored proficient or higher in fourth grade reading, compared with only 18 percent of blacks and 16 percent of Hispanics. Unions blame these disparities on racism. Quote, racial minorities are disadvantaged in the United States not only by the persistence of de facto segregation in schools. They know the difference between de facto and de jure. De facto segregation in schools, but by overt racial violence and coordinated efforts to stifle recognition of the nation's shameful history of racial oppression. Close quote. That's what the NEA brief says, citing state laws that limit critical race theory and 1619 project instruction. According to the leftist narrative, white parents enroll their kids in private schools or move to the suburbs because they don't want to live near or send their kids to schools with blacks and Hispanics. This is confused. Middle class parents aren't trying to escape minorities. They're trying to escape awful public schools. Most poor parents also probably don't want to send their kids to low performing neighborhood public schools, but many don't have a choice. Unions have relentlessly fought school choice, charters, and other school and vouchers that would expand educational options and thus threaten their monopoly. As for why urban public schools are so awful, unions again blame racism and say they don't get as much funding as the wealthier schools. But states typically equalize per-pupil funding across school districts, and many give more money to the poorer ones. The District of Columbia spends $7,000 more per pupil than Loudoun County, Virginia. The real culprits are union collective bargaining agreements and state laws that put teachers' interests union, teacher union interests above and ahead of students' interests. Unions are strong and strongest in the big cities and blue states where they have an unholy alliance with Democratic Party politicians. They're able to write rules to protect bad teachers from being removed and good ones from being re- rewarded. They don't believe in meritocracy for students or teachers or choice. Schools typically grant tenure to teachers after two or three years, which makes it virtually impossible to fire bad or lazy ones. Less than one in 50,000 California teachers are dismissed for unprofessional conduct or poor performance. A teacher normally would have to commit an egregious crime such as molestation to get fired. And even then, teachers' contractual job protections and the school's administrative, administrative processes make that dismissal difficult. Former L.A. Unified School District Superintendent John Dacey testified in a lawsuit challenging these job protections about 10 years ago. And he said it took as long as 10 years and $250,000 to $450,000 to fire an ineffective teacher. School districts usually don't want to bother, so they rotate poor performers performers around the low-income schools where parents are less likely to complain. Administrators call this the dance of the lemons. Anyone in school reform knows that phrase. Union contracts and state laws also typically require budgetary layoffs to be based on seniority. Less experienced teachers are more likely to be assigned to schools in lower income neighborhoods since they have more open positions owing to higher staff attrition. But then they are also most likely to get laid off. The result is that lower income schools are filled with the less experienced of the teachers. At the same time, administrators at more affluent schools are more likely to fill open positions with high-quality teachers. Yet lower-income schools can't recruit higher-performing teachers by offering them higher pay since labor contracts base salaries on years of experience and not merit. Teachers' unions have devised an education system that ensures poor minority kids don't succeed.
It thus requires an enormous amount of gall, or chutzpah, for AFT boss Randy Weingarten to lecture the court that, quote, ensuring equal access to educational opportunities is a compelling state interest and society benefits when educational opportunities are widely accessible. Why does she fight so hard to keep the minority kids down? Teachers' unions back racial preferences in college admissions to offset the inequities in K-12 education they have created and ease the political pressure for reform. It's an outrage in which Harvard and other colleges are complicit. It is an outrage. It is an outrage at every one of those levels, including an outrage for Asian students, an outrage for students who are not of the currently protected class based on the color of their skin. It is an outrage at every level that we just spend the money and shuffle these kids through without giving them the one golden ticket that will work for success in America, which is a good, a substantial education. We won't do that, but we will continue to racialize society to make up for our inability to do that. I say inability not because it's de jure inability, but because it's de facto inability. We have the ability. This is not about a mystery. It's about will. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, We'll have uh, Brandon Weikert joining us in a few moments. Uh, If you missed my monologue, I did it in the first hour. You can always get those at uh, 960thepatriot.com. It's all for free. Uh, I spent a little bit of time speaking about something with regard to race in there. It wasn't the main part, but it was an important part of my monologue, the kind of race arguments that were taking place at the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court today. And... You know, the the interesting word that you keep not hearing anymore, the dog that didn't bark in these debates, is the word equality. Um, that has been replaced by the word equity. They are not the same thing. And if you look at the kinds of things Randy Weingarten is talking about or Sonia Sotomayor, it's not equality. It's not the kind of stuff Thurgood Marshall was talking about when he argued Brown versus Board of Education. You know what he said when he argued Brown versus Board of Education? Thurgood Marshall before he became a Supreme Court justice, was the lead counsel at the NAACP, who was the lead plaintiff in Brown versus Board of Education, and uh, representing Brown. He wrote in his brief, 1954, quote, distinctions by race are so evil, so arbitrary, and so invidious that a state bound to guarantee the equal protection of the laws must not invoke them in any public sphere. What's the them again? Distinctions by race in and of themselves, evil, arbitrary, and invidious. That's how we won desegregation. Everyone in this country should have cheered when they read those words. More importantly, they should bring those words back today. All right. Seth Leibson. Uh, and Brandon Weikert coming right up. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.